1: Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is HR Trends with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and strategies to shake up the status quo in human resources and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham.
0: Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. This is HR Trends with Game Changers. We're nearing the end of this series. This is show 11 in season two, if you're keeping track. And we are live today is Tuesday, June 3rd, 2014. Let's get started. The buzz today is the word purpose. We have a lot to say. Hey, I was thinking back about this and all the talks that's related to this topic, and I was thinking about what parents have asked their children from time immemorial. So, are you happy? Well, guess what? That's a word that's emerging in business right now. Research shows that engaged employees are happier, and this translates to All the things that matter to a company, greater productivity, greater creativity, and most important, commitment to the company's success. But think about it. You in business. If this describes just a handful of people on your team, you may have a problem. What are you doing right now to attract and nurture more people like these? Here's a hint. Start by unleashing your employees' personal passions and start by creating work environments that recognize and reward. Here's our keyword, purpose-driven staff. Done right, this will be well worth your while. It will impact your employees. It will impact your workplace culture, and you know what's coming. It will impact your your bottom line. I have a panel of very exciting, interesting, and savvy speakers who are going to talk about this for the next hour. So stick with us for the next, let's say we got about 57 minutes here. You can do it. Let's start off our panel. Jen Lim is CEO and Chief Happiness Officer at Delivering Happiness. And she sent me the following quote from the recently departed Maya Angelou. The quote is People will forget what you said, people will forget what you did. But people will never forget how you made them feel. Jen Lim, such a pleasure to welcome you. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Bonnie. Thanks for joining me. Talk to me about this quote, why you selected it, and let's link it to happiness and purpose driven. Go ahead, Jen.
2: Sure. Well, I mean, for obvious reasons, it's timely just because she just passed, but. It's actually um, a quote I use in all of the, my keynote talks uh, when I talk about and I lead into happiness. And the reason why I use it because it's not just a, a quote that I love as a personal mantra, but it's actually a quote that a company uh, called Zappos and now Deliver Delivering Happiness actually uses on a day-to-day basis, not just to... Uh, talk about, you know, engagement with each other, but really as a business decision in helping us grow from a productivity, engagement, and in the end, profitability element. And the backing to that is that it's just so so interesting these days that even though that quote quote might seem fluffy to some people, there's more and more data showing that we actually can show the metrics and the science behind happiness in, in the way that we can equate, and the way we see it, delivering happiness is a pretty s- simple equation. It's if you have happier employees, you'll have equals happier customers and equals a more long-term sustainable business. And. As I said before, the the way that we can show the metrics on this is that we're basically able to apply this whole field of the science of happiness and positive psychology and le- make all the uh, learnings um, mm. applicable to where we are today in a business setting. So what's interesting is that I'm traveling the world these days. I don't know if you're familiar with the book Delivering Happiness, but it came uh, out about a few, a few years ago. And since then, I've been uh, essentially, it kind of sounds funny to say it, but um, we've been responding to, to this global demand of happiness, both inside the workplace and outside in, in our everyday lives. And what's so interesting is that everywhere I go, no matter what country, it's between one to five percent of the people in the whole room raises their hand when I ask them how and do you feel? Can you that you can predict your own long-term sustainable happiness in your own life? And to think about that in the whole world, one to five percent in the in the room. And actually I can say zero to five percent because I just went to Beijing and no one raised their hand. I just Mm. said that's two weeks ago. (laughs) And so here I'm thinking, you know, here we are, you know, in a relatively advanced society, technologically wise, socially wise, we have all these connections, that's all this information that's open to us. And you know it's in our Declaration of Independence, um, you know uh, the pursuit of happiness, and it's not a new topic. I mean, in 200 BC, there's a guy named Aristotle that said happiness is actually the purpose of our existence. But even more interestingly, he said that happiness is dependent on ourselves. So really, we have no little excuse anymore to say why is this the case that. In Gallup, uh, Gallup in 2012 I had a poll of all the world, worldwide workplaces, and show that 87% of the uh, workplaces in the whole world are disengaged from what they you know do on an everyday basis. So in a way, this is a sad state of affair, But in a way, we have mm-hmm. such a great opportunity to show that hey, let's think about it for a second. If we just go back to the basics, why are we here? And if you ask yourself, you know, why are we doing these things every day? And the interesting question is, no matter who you ask, what they're doing, why they're doing it, if you ask yourself why enough times, it usually comes back to this universal simple theme of happiness. I want to be happy. I want to make sure the people around me are happy, that I care about. So like I said, this is the time, time to be able to change that statistic around and actually show that this is a win-win-win for all, because it makes sense that we can actually be happier at work, we can be happier at home, and we actually can have happier bottom line.
0: I think that's a great combination. It's a winning hand, and I love the formula. Thank you, Jen, for starting us off. Great thoughts. I love the idea that there's a science of happiness. I think I've been waiting my whole life to hear that, so this is very (laughs) welcome news. Let me introduce your co-panelist, Aaron Hurst. He's the CEO at Imperative, and we'll find out a little later what that company does. And he sent me a Buddhist saying, how profound, wherever you go, there you are. I'm thinking of the French saying, je pense donc, je suis. I'm not sure if that's that relates. Aaron Hurst, welcome. How are you today? <laughs> How are I mean, you, Aaron? well for
3: a French Buddhist, probably, right?
0: Um, <laughs> I'd like to meet one. How are you, Aaron? <laughs> I'm doing great. It's great to be on the show. And, uh,
3: Jen, I really loved what you had to say and the work you're doing. It's right on. Yeah, when you asked for a quote, I was really, you know, sort of thinking about what really sums up what we're finding and what we realize. And it came back to something. I was personally raised uh, Buddhist um, by my parents. Um, and grew up in the uh, Buddhist community in the U.S. and Canada. And this was sort of one of the core mantras was wherever you go, there you are. And as we look at sort of what is causing a lot of the problems that, you know, Jen just talked about is fundamentally that we built a culture that's about constantly looking back or looking forward and not focused in on being present where you are right now. Um, and actually to generate purpose in our work and our lives, et cetera. I mean, the number one most important ingredient is being present. Um, if you aren't able to be comfortable in your skin if you're not able to be present where you are um, it's basically impossible to have a sense of purpose and yet so many things in our society sort of push us to always be you know running ahead or looking back um, really just saying
1: where you are
3: is as good as it'll ever be and enjoy where you are right now and it's a thing that's really transformed my life uh, even though I was raised this way you know it took a while to really take hold of this and starting to realize that, I will never be more successful than I am today, and um, I'll never be more successful than I was 20 years ago. Like every day, every moment is really all that there ever is. And, you know, an imperative, we're really focused less on happiness. I think happiness, Did you look at the studies around parenting, um, and, you know, one of the things that's really interesting is that parents are rarely happy. Um, it's not something that um, provides a sense of happiness, but it's something that brings a sense of joy it brings incredible well-being and purpose. And you know, happiness largely is like the sugar in our lives. It gives us these incredible spikes. Um mm-hmm. but it also has sort of a you know an equivalent down spike. And purpose is really the protein, <laughs> if happiness is the sugar. Protein is the thing that really sustains us and gives us that ongoing energy. And it's not about these highs and lows, it's about appreciating every moment, it's about appreciating relationships that you have, it's about appreciating the ability to help others, it's about stretching and growing. Um, but mostly it's just about realizing that this is the only moment in your life that ever matters is right now. Um, and if you're not enjoying that, if you're not um, finding purpose in that, um, you're quickly going to find that you, know, you you run out of time, um, and all those things that you thought were going to be the big wins, the big successes, are relatively shallow for you and not the things you remember, but it's those little moments that really matter. So for me, wherever you go, there you are. And if you just follow that one or a piece of sage advice, whether in English or French or German or Spanish. (laughs) Um, I think you're taking the first and most important step towards really bringing purpose to yourself, but also to your organization and to the
0: community that you work in. Thank you, Aaron. I think we're gonna change the name of this show from HR Trends with Game Changers to Philosophy Trends with Game Changers. This is very <laughs> profound today. We're really getting deep and I love it. Let's turn to our third panelist. It's Elise Weiler at SAP. And she sent me a quote from da 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 Elise Weiler in her own words. Present and accounted for. And let me quote her. She says, just forty hours a week equals Thirty percent of our lives, and that's from uh, ask.com, dot will tell us where. So, Elise adds, "Slacking in doing what you love is not an option. It's all about finding your why." Elise Weiler, I know you're excited to be here, and we're excited to have you. Welcome, Elise. How are you today? Thanks so much, Bonnie. I'm doing well, and um,
4: thanks to Aaron and Jen, your your quotes were also great and inspiring. And this quote from Ask.com that it's 30% of your lives. You say, "Wow!" When you look at it as a big chunk, that's that's a good amount of time. And you know, if you spend 30 30% of your lives doing something where you're just comfortable, it's almost like being in a bad relationship where you're just there, but you're not you're not truly excited about it. So, if there's something when in the workplace you're not you're not doing something that you're inspired by then my suggestion would be really look inside yourself. There's a great video from Simon Sinek on the power of why and really finding out what motivates you um, and who you are and what you're inspired by. And I think it's also not only about what you love. There's, you know, there's things that happen in life. There's there's another thing that kind of goes along uh, with Aaron that says, you plan and God laughs. So there's, there's things that happen in life sometimes that, that you need to follow, and you may need to make changes based on that. So there's there's an infograph, actually. If you picture three circles, and one circle is what you love, one circle is what you're good at, and one circle is what pays well. And it says, if you do what you love and what you're good at, you may be happy, but you may be poor. So, I mean, maybe you love something that you're just you're not going to make a living on. So you may be happy doing it, but you may not be able to live the lifestyle that you want. Um, doing what you're good at and, and what pays well, you may be rich, but you may be also be bored with your life and not excited about it. And if it's what you love, what pays well, and what you're good at, that might happen for some people. But for some people, it may just be a dream. So. A good proportion of what you love, what you're good at, and what pays well, that's where you're going to find your win. It's almost like that that sweet spot where you're doing something Mm -hmm. that inspires you. You're working with people that challenge you. um, You're doing also something that you feel like you're rewarded by, and you can also make a living based on that. You're you're finding your win and you're finding your sweet spot and, and where you can develop a career out of that.
0: Very profound, Elise. More philosophy. It reminds me of, first of all, I don't know if you remember, you're probably too young, but when I was in school, they taught us something called Venn diagrams, V-E-N-N, mm-hmm. where you had the circles and where they intersected. Yep. That was the sweet spot. So I think mm-hmm. you know what I'm talking about. Uh, I wanted to make a comment. Um, there used to be a saying, a, a famous saying that says, if you do what you love, and I think you would add the corollary, if you do what you love and are able to make a living and are challenged and happy and work with people to challenge you, all of that good stuff, you'll never work a day of your life so there's that's a sweet spot one more comment your quote says just 40 hours a week equals 30 percent of our lives implying we're working 40 hours a week at work honestly do you know anybody who just works 40 hours a week yeah so so double that and that's 60 percent of your life (laughs) i think so i think i wanted to do a reality check well i have a reality check for my panel and by the way thank you all for great comments on your quotes what a good start but you're not done yet before we go to break i have the hardest question i will ask you for the entire show today. You know what it is. What's in your cup today? What are you drinking? Because HR Trends with Game Changers is part of our flagship series that I started in 2011 called Coffee Break with Game Changers. So I'm going to start with Jen Lim. And Jen, tell me, what's in your cup right now or what would you like it to be? What are you dreaming about or what are you going to have after the show? Tell me. <laughs> I have uh, many beverages I can be dreaming about right now, but uh,
2: <laughs> I've been uh, making a choice to be healthier these days. And I actually ran into a guy on in in my flight home um, last week, and he noticed I had really bad allergies. And I I spend most time in the Bay Area, so it's been really acting up for me in the last last year or so. So he recommended a remedy of just um, basically nettle tea. So you buy a bunch of nettle leaves, Um, boil water, put it in there overnight, and supposedly just drink as much as you can of this stuff. And homeopathically, homeopathically it's supposed to eradicate the whole allergy thing. But um, it's only been a week. So all I've noticed so far is that I have a lot more bio breaks throughout the
0: day, but no no other (laughs) positive effect uh, yet. So hopefully that will change. I, I hope the allergies abate. You know, it's funny. I used to have such severe allergies when I lived on the West Coast in Oregon. Now that I'm here in New York, mm-hmm. I think I get springtime allergies maybe once every five or six years. And right now, it's a little sneezing, maybe once every five or six days. So I am so happy. There's that word again. Thank <laughs> you, Jen. Aaron Hurst, what are you drinking today?
3: Yeah, it's interesting. I uh, besides the usual, one of the things in starting this new company, I'm working with a lot of millennials, I have this tradition of. Pretty regularly having a glass of white wine in the afternoon, like late afternoon, like three or four. Um, and at first I was incredibly judgmental of it, just coming out of like a more, you know, still startups, but a different background. And I actually found that like it was a wonderful sort of part of the routine and ritual at the office. And I was just in Europe and it was interesting too just to see how common that was, um, within sort of the culture of many of the organizations I was going into. So it's been really fun to sort of, sort of see how an old fashioned, uh, trend that's really making a comeback, and I really found it like makes a really, and it creates a really nice culture and interaction um, as a team and a ritual, so trying to sort of bring drinking back to work a little bit.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that sounds a good way to be happy, too. Happy is our operative word here. We'll leave purpose, and we'll move on to happiness. Elise Weiler, what are you drinking today?
4: First, that sounds great, Aaron.
0: Um, I have to do a shout-out
4: to Brooklyn Water Bagel, who I say solved the problem of watered-down iced coffee. I actually already finished mine, but um, they have something called a Cube Stuff, C-U-B-S-T-A, and it's an iced coffee, but instead of having regular water ice cubes, they went against the norm, and I'd say we're pretty innovative, and they have actually coffee ice cubes. So the ice cubes are made out of coffee, so when, you know, it starts to, you get outside and it's hot and everything, they melt, but it's coffee melting into your cup instead of water. Well, well that sounds... I ice yeah, coffee
3: is so much more expensive than regular coffee. I've never been able to figure that out. <laughs> you think it should be cheaper, right? Because they're using less coffee because it's more ice, and yet they charge twice as much as normal coffee.
4: Yeah, well, here's the, the solving mechanism to the problem, and I,
0: I don't know why other coffee stores don't do it, but it's, it's amazing. It sounds terrific. Aaron, you're from Brooklyn, aren't you? Are you living in Brooklyn? Yeah. So we got some, well, I'm in, I grew up in Queens and I'm on Long Island, so it's home week. What can I tell you? Listen, you've all worked so hard. I'm going to give you a break for no more than about 90 seconds. You know how that goes. This is live radio. I'm speaking today with a very energetic group and what great thought leaders they are. Our topic, by the way, is purpose-driven employees, sustainable happiness, and the bottom line. We're not getting woo-woo. We're getting down to that bottom line, which every business person listening To us here on the Business Channel is interested in making happen. This is HR Trends with Game Changers. My panelists today are Jen Lim, CEO and Chief Happiness Officer. I love that. At Delivering Happiness, (laughs) and she'll tell us about the company when we come back and a little bit about her history. Aaron Hurst, CEO of Imperative and Imperative of Happiness. He will tell us about his company and Elise Weiler at SAP. Thanks for joining us. I'm Bonnie DeGraham. We're going to take a brief break and we'll be right back with the roundtable. 30 minutes nonstop. your seatbelts on panelists don't even think of touching that mouse that app that dial we'll be right back and we're out
1: the business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network With companies like yours competing aggressively for top talent today, HR tactics must be comprehensive and precise. Today's reality, your HR department is faced with the demands of a multi-generational and globalized workforce, diversity and inclusion policies, work-life integration challenges, and more. The bottom line, you need to attract and retain the best fit talent to support your strategies and goals, optimize your employee engagement, and become an industry-leading employer of choice. HR Trends with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying HR Trends with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to HR Trends with Game Changers.
0: We are, and to quote a Buddhist saying via Aaron Hurst, one of my panelists today, wherever you go, there you are. And here we are back from break with Jen Lim, Aaron Hurst, and Elise Weiler. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and We're talking today about purpose-driven employees, sustainable happiness, and the bottom line. And that's what we all want all through that title. Yes, we're going to start off now with Jen Lim. We're going to learn a little bit about delivering happiness and her passion and her history. And she's going to drop some interesting names on us. And then we're going to talk to Jen. Jen, I want you you to talk to me, please, about lessons learned in making happiness a business model. And I know you're going to discuss three elements, commitment, core values, and vision. So first, Jen, tell us a little bit about what you do, please.
2: Sure. So uh, Delivering Happiness is actually a company named after uh, a book by the same name of Delivering Happiness that was launched about uh, a few years ago. And essentially, it was a book that Tony Shea, who is the uh, CEO of Zappos.com, and if you're not familiar with Zappos, they um they basically kind of built their way up with uh selling shoes online. Back in ninety nine they started and they eventually ended up um, being on the list of hundred best companies to work for and they were bought by Amazon uh, and a few years ago about uh, and a deal value at about $1.2 billion at the time of closing. So basically, Tony and I worked on this book together, launched it in 2010, and we literally thought we were going to just check it off the list of things to do in life. And um, like I said earlier, uh, I guess we were destined to do things differently just because of what we heard around the world, um, this global demand for happiness. And essentially, we heard from companies and businesses that were raising their hand and saying, this is great stuff, you know, how, how can I do it? Uh, where I work. Uh, I'm a company, I'm a hospital, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm a, even governments were actually calling us up and emailing us and, and asking uh, for our help in doing that. So uh, essentially that's why we decided to evolve into what we are today. And so the part of our business model is based on um, doing these keynotes as well as coaching and consulting, basically creating more products and services around this whole idea of how we can actually make happiness measurable. And how we've done this is uh, we worked with what we see are the thought leaders in the world and um, basically being sort of the hub of happiness. And so, as an example, we've worked with uh, Nick Marks, who has a pretty popular TED Talk on the Happy Planet Index. So, essentially, now we're working on together is a Happy Business Index. So, going into companies with tools and surveys and being able to say, this is their levels of employee happiness from a science of happiness perspective and being able to correlate that to actual business results. So that's basically what our company is doing right now, but essentially our higher purpose is something bigger, bigger than that and just making companies happy, happy. We really think that if you, we're all about basically spreading and inspiring happiness, both in the workplace and everyday life. And essentially the thought is if if, if everyone wants to change the world some, you know, somehow, I don't think I've met anyone that says, oh, I think the world is, you know, as good as it gets, it's perfect, mm-hmm. but they have this, this their own purpose in life. And so what we believe at Delivering Happiness is that, well, here we are at this place, but first start with yourself. So if you change your world and if we can change the workplace, then together we can actually change the world. And so we want to make it easier for people to, to understand that it doesn't take, you know, a full lifetime of, of doing big, big, you know, grandiose stuff to try and change the world. We can actually do it on a day-to-day basis, and we're here to help shift that, that whole, that whole um, I guess, perspective and what we can do as individuals to change the world
0: together. Thank you, Jen. And just to touch on those three uh, components of your business model for happiness, commitment, core values, vision. Did you create this as something that came up from a team? Is this something that's the mantra for delivering happiness? How would people relate to those three words? Yeah,
2: it's actually. I think. Oh, I've consulted at Apple's for over ten years now. So just seeing the changes over the years. uh, What this when I first met it it was just a tiny little startup, and all I wanted to do was just sell a bunch of shoes. And then I just saw it grow up over the years, and basically matured to focus on customer service and wanting to be the best at that. And then understanding that you know actually got to focus on employee happiness first, and then actually realizing. When it really matured, that their higher purpose is to deliver, deliver happiness in the world. So that's kind of the evolution of it from Zappos to delivering happiness. is basically the lessons learned along the way to sh- to see how you can actually make this whole idea of happiness as a business model successful in your organization.
0: Thank you. Aaron Hurst, tell us a little bit about Imperative, Then I'd like your comments on what Jen discussed in terms of those three components, commitment, core values, and vision. So tell us just who is Imperative. What do they do? What do you do? What is yeah. your Imperative? Aaron Hurst, what is your Imperative?
3: Uh, great question. Yeah, actually, Imperative came out of my work over the last about 15 years. I started an organization – called the Taproot Foundation back in 2001 um, with the goal of really engaging professionals in pro bono service so marketing technology HR accounting other professionals who have incredibly important skills that nonprofits can't afford and creating a whole marketplace where these incredible professionals could donate their skills to help nonprofits and Built it into a global brand uh, and helped develop a $15 billion marketplace for pro bono services, um, including building programs at you know many of the leading companies in the U.S. and globally at universities, you know, working with the White House on a national campaign around pro bono service, really trying to get this marketplace built. And what I heard consistently from these professionals, and I worked with tens of thousands of professionals um, from all around the world, was that their pro bono work they consistently said was the most rewarding. Best experience of their career. And I was really inspired by that. I felt, wow, we've created a Disneyland for work. We've created this incredible experience that's just so much, so rewarding, so full of purpose. But then I realized that it was just Disneyland. and um, that at the end of the day, everybody had to go back to their jobs, which were so far short of the experience they were having at Taproot and doing pro bono service. And really decided to leave Taproot and start with imperative to really figure out how can we make all work Feel like pro bono work? How can we take the work we do day to day, those 40 to 80 hours you described earlier, and actually bring the science of purpose to actually half work and make it something that's rich in purpose every day? Not necessarily happiness, but purpose. How do we actually have uh, work be something that is really nourishing to our souls, is fundamentally nourishing to us intellectually, etc.? And we've really begun. We just launched recently, a couple months ago, um, with uh, work I've been doing over the last couple of years, which is developing the science behind actually diagnosing what generates purpose for an individual. Because we found that based on different psychological profiles, people found different things that actually generate purpose for them. And that we often think of it as a one-size-fits-all, but in fact, uh, we can actually predict pretty easily what will generate purpose for someone. So we launched uh, a couple months ago at imperative.com a, a free diagnostic tool that enables anyone in 15 minutes to really figure out what are their core drivers of purpose, and to develop a purpose statement, sure a personal mission statement or guide to help them make decisions and optimize their work. Uh, but this is really just the sort of start of our work at Imperative. We uh, just published as well a book called The Purpose Economy, um, which I won't go into too much detail, but basically lays out why we believe that the information economy is likely to uh, fade in the next 10 to 20 years, and that purpose, mm-hmm. and the creation of purpose for employees, for customers, is likely the next major evolution of the global economy and that those organizations that really embrace purpose are the ones that are going to thrive and those that don't are really going to be, you know, much like the auto manufacturers were in Detroit uh, when they failed to recognize the rise of the information economy, um, really left left behind. Uh, so that's really the core of what we're doing. One of the things I'm most mm-hmm. excited about is we're starting a platform for cities to be able to compete to say which city is going to be the hub of this new economy and finding mayors and leaders all around the world really compelled to say let's stop trying to be the next silicon valley let's be the hub of the new economy one that's more aligned with our values and our sense of purpose Um, so that's sort of in a nutshell the trouble we're up to
0: okay well thank you and i still want to get you to comment on the three components jen mentioned commitment core values and vision agree disagree proportion what do you think
3: I think it's a question around organization, right? So I think within an organization, those are all really critical, I think. Um, and you can't have a strong, I think, organization without those. But I think it really does begin with individual commitment to themselves uh, and being able to be present. And that's more important than any of those.
0: Okay. Thank you very much. Elise Weiler, I want to get your take on what you've heard and especially about these components of the business model before we move on. Talk to me
4: thanks, Bonnie. So I think everyone is really their own purpose, their own person. I'm sorry, not purpose person. Mm-hmm. And as an individual, you really have to align with your company's vision. So I would say when you're when you're in in that process of you know looking, you have your purpose and you you see maybe there's a job that that fits along with who you are. but, It's really taking a look at the company also and seeing what their mission and vision is and seeing if that really aligns to your own. To to do what you love and, and have a passion for what you do, it's also aligning to the company that you work with. If you don't believe or feel strongly about your company's mission and vision, and as I say, everyone's different, you know, and every company is different. Every company has a different mission and vision statement. It really has to fit who you are and the culture has to fit who you are also. And if it is a fit, then you might have a, a great blossoming career at that company. If it's not a fit and it's not a culture fit, it it cannot work out. And and I agree with Aaron, your your career is your own. If it's not your company mm-hmm. that's gonna take charge of your career and You go into a company and you say, oh, my manager will do it for me or (laughs) this person will do it for you. It's, it's not, it's not that. It's developing your own network. It's learning. It's, um, it's also talking to people and networking and, and finding out, um, finding out why you want to do what you do and, and seeing what's a fit from there. Actually, read an article um, this morning and the title of it was do what you love is horrible advice and it was it's by yep. Jeff Hayden Ooh. and it talks about essentially what I mentioned earlier is you know sometimes um, doing what you love what pays on what you're good at is just a dream and it's not achievable maybe it's achievable by a certain percent of the population but if it's not exactly what you love it it should be something about at least you're passionate or you're interested in when when I started out in the work world I would say I was in a job where I loved the people around me I thought they were great and I was learning for them but the actual work that I did I didn't love and I wasn't excited about it and I wasn't advancing I think because of that and once I started talking to other people and realizing that there was um there was other options and, and other things. I think early, more early on in their career, sometimes maybe people don't see that. There's other options, and as an individual, they have to take it on for themselves. Then when you see that there's other options, that's that's a great opportunity when you can really have that commitment and make that commitment to yourself to progress. Thank and you,
3: Elise.
0: Aaron, and Aaron go
4: ahead.
3: ahead. I think really go ahead, The Aaron. piece around that vision and mission alignment, I've done a lot of work with nonprofits, small, medium, and large, and met a tremendous number of professionals working in the nonprofit sector that have next to no purpose in their work, despite working for organizations with incredible Mm -hmm. missions and visions um, that they believe very strongly in. Because at the end of the day, most of the work you do every day is not the mission or vision. It has to do with the craft and the relationships of the people around Mm -hmm. you. Um, And actually, nonprofits often underinvest in that piece because they think the mission and vision should be enough to provide purpose to employees. But at a certain point... You fundamentally have to get purpose, and the research out of Yale has really been pointing to this. You have to really help develop the purpose and the craft and the relationships of each employee, each member of the team, um, and that it's really hard to get much purpose or meaning from the organization's mission and vision um, on a sustained basis.
0: Hmm. Aaron, I want to move in a different direction, but first, Jen, any comments on what Aaron just mentioned, or at least before I go to one of Aaron's talking points, Jen?
2: Yeah, um yeah, I think it's interesting that most of this, I know that the topic is about purpose. I think what, um what might not be, well, we might be getting there, but it's really the meat and bones of what that actually means. And, uh. Um, that's where I'm so going next. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, great. Because, uh, right now, I think people can put all these words out there, like purpose and culture, but, at the end of the day, what they're they're kind of staring blankly at each other, not really knowing how do you actually uh, transcribe that to you know tangible, actionable, real um, you know behaviors, and how and how we actually measure that in, in the workplace.
0: Great point, and that's a beautiful segue for me. I'm turning to Erin Hurst at Imperative. Erin, I'm looking at your talking points. You told me before the show you said we have many myths about purpose in our culture, including. Purpose is a cause. It's a revelation and it's a luxury. And you say these myths get in our way of actually experiencing purpose. So Aaron, talk to us about those points and please address what Jen was saying is how do we bring it down to reality and make it work so people are not scratching their heads too long? A little scratching isn't bad, but too <laughs> long they're just not getting it and they're going to hurt themselves. So Aaron, it's your turn to bring us into reality. And then of course we'll have Elise and Jen comment as well. Go ahead, Aaron.
3: I don't know if I can bring you into reality. I can bring you into my reality, but to Jen's point, that's I think fine. There's so many. Uh, there is, you know, a lot of different language, and a lot of these words have so many different meanings to different people. But I was really looking at it from a scientific standpoint. What does the research really show around purpose? And I realized, in some ways, I had been practicing uh, malpractice around. Giving advice to people in their careers and really helping them find meaning at work. When I started to really meet with researchers and understand what purpose really is, and it really breaks into those three myths um, that I've been, you know, perpetuating and holding with me that were getting in my way and also in the way of other folks. So the first is that purpose is a cause. We, you know, people come to me saying, "Ah, I need more meaning in my work. I need to find an organization uh, or a mission that I really, really believe in. I need to find what my cause is." Um, and they see all these examples in Hollywood and elsewhere, where you know the perception that causes are the thing that generate purpose. And the reality is, I know a ton of people, as I'm sure all of you do, who have many causes that they're behind, um, but have no purpose in their work. And we also know a lot of people who have tremendous purpose in their work, just really, really, you know, rich in purpose, but you couldn't name a single cause uh, that they're behind. Purpose and cause are really not correlated meaningfully. Um, and, we don't need causes to bring us purpose and many people working on causes are not generating purpose. So we need to let go of that because otherwise you're constantly looking for that cause to be the source. The second is that it's a revelation. A lot of people believe that they just they need to be struck by purpose. They need to be, you know, read a newspaper article, go on a trip to Africa, um, have some experience that like jolts purpose into them and they suddenly have that revelation. And I was just at Oxford talking to a bunch of grad students there and they shared exactly that. They went to grad school 'cause they expected they'd have a revelation and somehow find mm-hmm. the purpose. Uh and that's not the way we find purpose. It's a it's a journey. It's through every day. And then finally, purpose is a luxury is a final myth that we tend to think purpose is only available to those of a certain means or a certain socioeconomic class or certain careers. But the research shows you can gain purpose in any profession. Um, people of any socioeconomic class can find tremendous purpose. And I point to the example uh, Victor Frankel, who said that it was purpose and meaning that got him through basically being a slave laborer in concentration camps in World War II. Mm-hmm. So, if Victor Frankel could find purpose as a slave in a concentration camp, um, it's hard to argue that you need a yacht or a, C, a C-suite job to be able to have purpose in your career. So, those were the three myths. And then, what we found is purpose is really about relationships. It's about doing something greater than yourself, and it's about growing about personal growth. Those are the three things that generate a sense of purpose for somebody um, in their work. And that's really where we're where we're focused.
0: Aaron, is this something that is generationally appropriate or generationally resonant, I should say? In other words, do, uh, boomers, I'm, I'm a baby boomer, do, do yep. we get it? Does my generation get it? Anybody want to chime in or is this just for millennials and Gen Wires and Net Jenners and, and anybody under 40? Who gets this? Who, who really understands this? Jen, I think I heard you talk or Elise. Mm-hmm. Who was that? Yeah. Go ahead, Jen. Well,
2: uh, yeah, I, I can say, from especially in the last few years that it's uh, it 's not a question of millennials versus you know other generations at all it 's because this all comes back down to something so fundamental to that yeah. something that we all really want in our lives and by thinking about it in, a, in a, and separating from I, I just have something against separating it in this kind of categories because at the end of the day you 're going to have a workplace you 're going to have a community you 're going to have a world that has all these different types of backgrounds, ages. Um, you know, experiences. And so how can we actually focus on the positive things that actually brings us together versus the, you know, the, the things that separate us? And that's why, uh, like what you said earlier, Bonnie, when I found out about this thing called science and happiness, it made me so excited because all the things I believed mm-hmm. in that I knew from a fundamental level inside was actually being mapped out in a way that we can say, hey, this is actually based on real data here. And so we think about this idea of purpose and, and, and really what we're saying, how we're correlating what happiness is, is that we all know what happiness could mean. And it's a very, very subjective thing on how we define it. But because we have this science, we know that there's different types of happiness and there's different levers that actually help us increase our happiness in a scientific way. So if we think about it, we all know what pleasure is, you know, Everyone has their own pleasures. I won't name any specific ones in case anyone mm-hmm. might be offended. But, you know, it's like going out and party with your friends, having that drink a drink, wa- a glass of wine after uh, lunch, which I think is a great idea. Erin, uh, if you want to come over in the Bay Area anytime, we have a 1985 Airstream called Winky One that we drive around and there's plenty of white wine for you whenever, whenever you make um, it over here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <that's great>. Chardonnay, <laughs> Chardonnay, please, cold. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Perfect. Um, So there's that pleasure. But we know that it's not sustainable. It's a very fleeting type of happiness. It's important, but unfortunately we can't hold it for long. The next form of happiness that we know is more sustainable is flow and engagement. So we all know what engagement is. And the sense of flow is when you're doing something, you're so into that activity. It feels like minutes have gone by, but in actuality it's hours because, it again, it's this uh, feeling that you are – actually there's a more scientific way to describe it, but it could be, you know, whatever you love doing, baking, gardening, uh, painting, etc But the most in, in interesting thing is if you break it down scientifically, it's when you have the level of your skill mat- match the level of challenge or whatever that activity might be. So what's great about this concept of flow is that you can actually apply that in a workplace. So no matter what, you know, if you're in a place that has a great purpose or not a great purpose, you can always apply the sense of how can I increase my own personal state of flow and work so that I can feel the sense of um, actually, in the end, more sustainable happiness. And the last uh, type of happiness I just want to talk about is what people are talking here, and it's a sense of purpose. And According to the data, this is the most sustainable form of happiness. So if we think about it, all of us, so many times in our lives are focused on, you know, these more immediate pleasures, but realizing that if we can focus and be living out our purpose, then everything else is pretty much gravy. And so how we get to the sense of purpose, because I think a lot of people in the audience might get a you know, have this overwhelming feeling like, ah, I gotta find my purpose. What, what what could that be? And when I ask people, people always say, Oh yeah, I wanna be a mom, you know, I'm a perfect mom or a great dad or a husband or wife and these are all of course noble pursuits, but I challenge people just a little bit more and say, What would you do differently if you were actually true to yourself? And I, well, delivering mm-hmm. happiness and in Zappos, we say, "True to your weird self," because we all feel that
0: mm-hmm. everyone's weird to a certain level. Um, mm-hmm.
2: Is and, weird the uh, new normal, Jen? And, <laughs> what's
0: that? <laughs> is weird the new normal? Yeah, I,
2: I believe it is. Okay, and, uh, and I think that being true to that weird self, weird unique self, is actually what uh, gets people to flourish from within. So finding that purpose, what we say is like, "Be true to your weird self." And then through that, realize what your senses of flow and passions are and be able to live that on more on a day-to-day basis. Then you will be able to define your purpose in a more specific way that's unique to your weird self that only you can define mm-hmm. because no one else knows what's uh, equating in that. So that's, I guess, a little bit more actionable steps in terms of what does real purpose mean
0: mm-hmm. to us uh, Thank to you, Jen. I I want to flip this on its ear and turn the direction of the conversation a little with something that Elise Weiler sent me before the show. We're going to take a break, by the way, in four minutes. Brad, four minutes at 48 after, because we need time for the crystal ball predictions. At the end. But Elise, you sent me a note that a 2013 Forbes article by Louis Efron was called "One Interview Question You Should Ask Every Candidate." Pinpoints the question recruiters should be asking prospective employees. I'll read the questions in a second, but the. Reason- reason I say we're flipping it on its ear right now, this conversation, is we've been taking this from the perspective of What does the employee think? What does the employee feel? What should they be looking for in terms of their purpose, their happiness? And now I want to say quickly, Elise, take us from the other side of the equation, which is how does a company find these candidates, which was one of my opening questions. So Elise, tell us what were some of the key points of Louis Efron's article. And if we have time, we'll get a quick response from Aaron and Jen. If not, we'll just go to our break and then come back with the crystal ball. Elise, go ahead, please.
4: Sure, sure. And instead of telling you about the article, let me just tell you a little story. So, um, just recently hired an intern for the team, and she's doing an amazing job. And it was it was a really hard decision of of who to hire. There were three really great candidates, all you know fit the qualifications, and were you know sounded excited about the job and everything, and you know or were um, great on the interviews, but there was one candidate who said, you know, I've looked at jobs, I'm really holding out until I find something that's a fit. And, you know, she was being selective in her job process and wanted to make sure that what she took wasn't just a job that was available at the time she needed it, but was was the right job i don't know if she would have waited too long but but she wanted to to be selective in her process too and her you know she came from college and her qual her what she studied was was basically the same thing that the job was about she's doing an amazing job so so it was really that question about um what do you want people to remember you for does mm-hmm. that fit along with the job um It's not just about you know did you did you do X Y Z or did you what projects did you do in the past? It's more about um, what are you enthusiastic about, and I love Jen's point about flow. Um, And I've never actually heard it called that before. I call it kind of losing track of time. And I Mm -hmm. love the word flow. Like you're flowing. You're you know it's almost that point where you're so into something that if someone you know, calls your name if you're working at night and your husband's telling you, did you call the, the lawn guy to come in the morning or did you, uh. <laughs>
0: what? You talking to me? <laughs>
4: did you, did you, did you call, did you take out the trash for tomorrow or something like that? Um, and, and you don't hear them. You're, you're just, uh, you're just working and, and, um, and you're, you're losing track of everything around you.
0: I love it. Thank you. And I'm going to bring in one more quote and we are going to go to break now because we're running out of time. Elise, you sent me the following. For our listeners, listen up. If you think this is, if you still think it's fluff or woo woo where it doesn't matter to you, listen to the following statistic via, let's see, we had it via Elise Weiler. Organizations with high levels of engagement continue to outperform the total stock market index and posted total shareholder returns 22% higher than average. And I think you wanted to give us a case study on Kenexa, but we're not going to have time. That's K-E-N-E-X-A. Everybody can look that up. Thank you, Elise, for that stat. I think everybody would appreciate that. Guess what? I'm going to give my panel another quick break. We're talking today with Jen Lim at Delivering happiness, and she sure is, Aaron Hurst at Imperative, and yes, you are, yes, you have, and Elise Weiler at SAP. Great panel, great conversation, great thoughts. Our topic today is Purpose-Driven Employees, Sustainable Happiness in the Bottom Line. I'm going to give you all 90 seconds when we come back. I think we'll have two minutes each on the clock. Keep it tight. We're going to talk about what are your predictions. Let's fast forward to the year 2020 because we all know that's supposed to be equivalent to hindsight, which should be perfect if we put on those special hindsight google glasses in six years what would we be talking about what will change in terms of purpose-driven employees i'm bonnie de graham we'll be right back after the break don't even think of touching that mouse that app that dial and i'll still be saying that in six years brad out
1: the business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network With companies like yours competing aggressively for top talent today, HR tactics must be comprehensive and precise. Today's reality, your HR department is faced with the demands of a multi-generational and globalized workforce, diversity and inclusion policies, work-life integration challenges, and more. The bottom line, you need to attract and retain the best fit talent to support your strategies and goals, optimize your employee engagement, and become an industry-leading employer of choice. HR Trends with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying HR Trends with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to HR trends with Game Changers.
0: Here we are Je pense donc je suis I want to do a quick shout out to Mike G. Montalban for tweeting his fingers off here during the show and James Mearn, M-E-A-R-N thank you for joining us we're at hashtag S-A-P radio we also have been getting tweets from Aaron Hurst we've got some from you we've got some from Elise Weiler our panelists thank you Delivering Happiness DH Movement I know that's Jen Lim and Company and we've also got tweets from, from let's see it's A-B-A-P for S-A-P so thank you very much for promoting the show and tweeting along with us it's time for the crystal ball and we are ready my guests have prepared i know that jen and aaron and elise went out to the shed or the attic or the back of the truck and they found the crystal ball polished it off jen Lim, <laughs> i'm going to ask you blue skies cloudy skies let's look ahead six years if you can see that far jen what will this topic be like what will have changed in six years purpose driven employees sustainable happiness in the bottom line go ahead jen two minutes go Thanks. I didn't find a crystal ball, but I found one of those snowballs, so hopefully this, this will work out.
2: Um, I think this is a really interesting question, because if you had asked me this same question, like what would, would be going on at this time four years ago? This is right before the book came out. I would never have guessed where we are today with this whole topic of happiness in the workplace and our everyday lives. And it's only because of what has happened since the last few years of basically what I saw was just this tipping point around the world of um, of people really taking, you know, happiness as a serious business. And what's so interesting to me and, and totally unpredicted was that it's a, it's a real global phenomenon. Um, in fact, half of our clients are actually outside of the U.S., which I thought was super interesting, knowing that hmm. people... Yeah, around the world are actually thinking countries you would never think of. like even though Venezuela does have some something called a, I think a happiness bureau or something we all know what's really happening internally but there are people around the world that actually in Venezuela in Ecuador uh, like I said just earlier I was in China that are are really putting economic value to it so because of this ch- uh tipping point and change that I'm sensing I really feel that. Uh, We have a saying at delivering happiness, nudge the world to a happier place. And I think that the more we're showing in our work and all these other companies that are already really thinking about it and doing it in a meaningful way. Just as an example, we have actually heard from over 110 countries, 3,300 cities, actually, um, just from our own works. Uh, that we're putting out there. So I can only imagine if we were to put all these dots together and realize that this tide is actually happening in a very meaningful and actionable, measurable way, we will, and, uh, in the six years that you're talking, talking about, 2020, look back and see how the, the decisions that we're uh, making now and the, and the and the projects that we're putting together to make this happen will have paid off in the sense that Happiness is no longer sort of a nice-to-have, you know, I'll get there someday, and that happiness is actually a priority, and we all know it to be in our everyday life and in the workplace, and that's how I believe, as I said at the beginning of the show, if you can change your own world as an individual and we'll change the workplace, and then actually we put these dots together, together we can't change the world, and that's where I think we'll be.
0: Thank you very much. And I just looked up an interesting interesting study here, Jen, while you were speaking. Apparently, there's an author named Professor Martin Seligman. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He wrote a book called Authentic Happiness. Yeah. And he said that a 15-year study in Australia showed that happiness has wide-ranging effects. According to him, adults and children who are put in a good mood select higher goals, perform better, and persist longer on a variety of laboratory tasks such as solving anagrams. Well, that's good news. Just a little mm-hmm. reference point there, Jen. Thank you for looking ahead yeah. for us. Re- pre- really appreciate your insights. Aaron Hurst, it's your turn. Two minutes, you're up. Go.
3: <laughs> well, I guess everything Jen said—that was brilliant—and uh, this actually the topic of my book. The purpose economy it sort of lays out sort of a vision for how things are changing at a meta level um, in terms of moving from an economy where information and technology is the driver of innovation to one in which the ability to create purpose for employees and for customers is going to become a, The primary driver of economic growth, Uh, and I think that's not going to happen in you know five or six years. I think we will get to a point where more and more people understand that that is true where the future is, and that for companies to uh, compete, um, they're going to have to find ways to really deliver purpose. And that just like in the early '90s, when I was working in technology, companies that just paid lip service to it or just built a website that didn't really integrate it fundamentally into their core. We're not able to compete. It was the ones that fundamentally found ways to integrate it Mm -hmm. into everything they do um, are going to be the ones that thrive. I think we'll see more and more companies, you know, five or six years from now, um, really um, getting, you know, huge leaps ahead of the rest of the pack because they're able to add that special sauce to make purpose happen. And it's going to radically change, I mean, for your audience, the whole field of HR. I think in the next six years, HR is either going to become increasingly obsolete or it's going to be seen as the core of companies I think it really depends on whether or not HR really you know leans into this really fundamentally makes purpose and delivery of purpose the core of their mission or whether they see you know policies and control as the core of the future and I think it's sort of a moment for the HR community to decide what future they want
0: very interesting. Times have sure changed. I worked for a company many years ago that's no longer here, Erin, where the, the woman in charge, uh, took power and decided that she owned HR. She stopped giving people reviews. She threatened people and everybody lived under an iron thumb, a, a stick, oh, worse than it was. It was a horror. People quivered and shook in their boots whenever she came down the hall. And that's, oh, yeah, yeah. that's so, so far. But you know, I have a feeling the unenlightened companies would have that kind of a, a situation. Thank God that is. A nightmare out of my vision. Now, Elise Weiler, I can give you about a minute and a half, 90 seconds for your prediction. Sorry for waxing philosophical on my own there. Elise, go ahead. What do you see in the future?
4: Sure. Real quick, I think there's going to be more startups coming out that will explore a little bit of our weird side. Uh, just an example on Shark Tank, Mark Cuban bought into a company called I Want to Draw a Cat for You, who was
0: just a guy that loved drawing. I missed cats. that episode. <laughs> <laughs> I missed that episode. That's a great one. Wow. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Elise. Is that it? You ready? You done? Yeah. Good. Thank you. Uh, Good, and, thank and, you. And,
4: tidbit, and I just think companies are, are going to continue to hire for purpose. I think it's going to be, be made into the recruiting process just to make sure that, that the person is going to be inspired by the actual position and, and the company that they're working for, and it's going to be a change in recruitment for companies.
0: Okay, Thank you very much. You left me just enough time to close. I can't thank my panel enough. What great conversation, great interactions, and I learned a lot. I'm happy. I don't know if that counts. I think it does. (laughs) I'm happy hosting and producing SAP Radio a couple times a week. So there, I found my happiness, and I hope SAP has. Jen Lim at Delivering Happiness, Aaron Hurst at Imperative, and Elise Weiler at SAP. Thank you. And coming up tomorrow, it's Wednesday. Well, you know what that means. Coffee break with Game Changers. Next Tuesday, we'll be back here with... Episode 12, Season 2, if you're keeping track of HR trends with Game Changers. Our Financial Excellence Show is taking a break for a few weeks. We'll return in this time slot starting on July 8th. There's a change of venue, and we have four new series starting in the fall. We're very busy here at Game Changers Radio. I want to do a shout-out to Mike Montalban, co-producer for this series. Thank you for your great support, guest engagement, and for tweeting and tweeting and tweeting your fingers off for us. Carolyn Cahot, Cahoot, thanks for sponsoring. Brad and the Business Channel team at World Talk Radio. Thank you very much. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, another very lively live edition here. I have a call to action for all of you. If you don't know what it is, brace yourself. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. And I will add, be purpose-driven and be happy. It does matter. Talk to you tomorrow on Coffee Break with Game Changers. We're talking about fighting fraud. Woohoo! Have a great day. Bye-bye.
1: Thanks again for tuning in to HR Trends with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time, on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.